Have you got your Bibles this morning? I hope you do. We are going to be using them. So whether they're on your device or you've got them with you, if you don't have a Bible with you, but you've got a pen and paper, you might want to jot some things down because we're going to be going through a bunch of scripture. Um, in, the, in the old days, when I was a kid, Charles, I just told Charles this morning, we, sword drills, that's what we call them. We're doing sword drills this morning. And we're going to see how quickly you can get around the scripture because i got a bunch of them to share with you this morning. Real quick, while you're getting to John chapter 17, because that's where we're going to start, John 17, uh, real quick word of introduction. I know it's tulip time and Mother's Day, so we always have lots of guests and people that aren't normally here. My name is Tom Vanderwell. I am not on staff here at Third Church, I, but I do lead the teaching team here at the church uh, as a, what we would call a lay person. Um, I, I have another job, and as I said a couple weeks ago, I, I have a tent-making job, and somebody, Brian Vandaloon, who usually is here, also, I said, hey, and Brian, we, we, you know, we both have tent-making businesses, not knowing that there are people that don't understand that reference. You see, in, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul made tents. That was his family business. So he would go and he would make tents wherever he traveled so that the church didn't have to use their money to support him. So they, the, by making tents... He wasn't a burden on the church. They didn't have to use their offerings. They could use it for the poor or whoever needed it. So tent making simply means you do another job, but you still uh, work in ministry, right? And as far as I'm concerned, every job is ministry. So with that in mind, uh, I am not on staff, but I lead the teaching team. So here at 3rd, we have um, a whole team of people that both people who are on staff and people who aren't on staff that... Uh, have the gift of teaching and preaching, and we rotate, and we, we use a lot of people. So I'm, I'm kind of the, the leader of that team. Uh, and so that's who I am, and we have been, as a church, going through a series on the Trinity, which we're calling the circle of love, and trying to unpack what the, this mystery of the Trinity is all about. So today, the message is about mutual indwelling. And last week, uh, Kathy did a great job. For those of you who were here, wasn't that awesome? We had fifth graders help Kathy. We're raising up a whole new generation of preachers, man. We had fifth graders uh, getting up here and sharing the word and praying for us. And she did this great illustration to help us see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one verse. Uh, and that was awesome. So today, now we're going to talk about the concept of that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That the Father is in Christ and Christ is in us, so the Father is in us. And the Holy Spirit is in us, but the Spirit is in Christ and the Father, so we're all mutually indwelling one another. That's where we're going today. So grab John 17, and here we go. Verse 20. Jesus is praying in the garden the night before he's going to be crucified. And he's praying to the Father, and he says, Father, it's not for them alone, my, my 12 disciples and the larger group of disciples right here this day, but I pray also for all of those who will believe through their message. In other words, he's praying for us, praying for all who would believe in him, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. 
So in other words, when we are in Christ, when we accept Christ's invitation, if you listened to Mike's sermon in the sanctuary last week, uh, that, that invitation, if you hear me knocking and you open the door of your heart and you invite me in to relationship with you, then that's what he's talking about there. So I am in, uh, they may be in us, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them glory, the glory that you gave me. And again, remember, he's praying for all believers. So the glory of God is given to us, all right? And as Christ is in his, so is his glory. And what is glory? Glory is is the powerful light of Christ. So in the Revelation, the last couple chapters talks about the new Jerusalem and it says there's no sun or new, no moon in the, in the eternal, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. Why? Because the glory of Christ gives light to all. So glory is like the powerful light. So let there be light and that was the beginning of everything, light. That light was the glory of Christ. When he says, I am the light of the world, it's the glory of Christ. So when he says, my glory, Father, you gave me this glory, and I now am giving it to them. And so as they're in us and we're in each other, we're all sharing in this glory together. So verse 23, I in them, (laughs) I'm in them, and you're in me, so you're in them too, because you're in me and I'm in them, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Unity of what? Unity of presence, unity of person, unity of being with God himself. All together, all right? Keep going. We're now in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. So we just said in the Apostles' Creed, He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. One of the scriptures we're going to look at today points to the fact that we are in him, in heaven, right now. And so he says, I want them to be with me where I am to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. So I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Are you getting the picture here? Everybody's in everybody else in this whole divine dance of father, son. Now go back to uh, chapter 15. Just flip the page back to 15 and look at verse 17 as he's talking to the disciples. And he says, the spirit, that capital S, the spirit of God, the spirit of truth. So we're part of the Trinity, the father, son, and spirit. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him. And if you got your Bibles with you, I want you to circle that. He doesn't see him nor know him, there's the other one to circle, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So the spirit 
of God will be in you just as the Father is in you and the Son is in you because the Father's in the Son and the Spirit's in you because the Father's in the Spirit and the Spirit's in Jesus. And we're all just one big thing together. So that's why we, what we're calling mutual indwelling. Now, one of the things that I've been te- I talk to the teaching team about as we think about preaching and we think about preparing messages is I always tell them, look, you guys, everything connects. Everything connects. Everything is connected. So it's not like I sit down, people say, hey, Tom, how much time do you spend preparing a message? I can't, I can't quantify it. Why? Because I'm always thinking about it. Always. It's, it's in my head when I'm taking a shower, when I was mowing the lawn yesterday. I was thinking about it in my sleep as I was waking up this morning. I'm thinking about it all the time. I am always thinking about what everything around me, what the Spirit of God is doing. So when you see something that happens in front of you, you go, oh, I think there's, there's something important about whatever that was that just happened. I pay attention to that. When I am, you know, when I am coming across something and it's like going, boy, that's like a living parable right there. I take note of it. Sometimes I jot it down in my journal. I want to remember that because the thing is that it all connects, but it may not connect today. It might connect to something five years from now or 10 years from now. And so I've got all of these things that, are, that have been these little like seeds planted as I've experienced them. I've watched them. I see them during my day. I, I, I see something on television. I go, oh, man, there's something in that that I need to pay attention to. And it's like a divine moment when the Holy Spirit goes, hey, Tom, dum, 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 pay attention. Okay. All right. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to write it down. And then what happens is over time, things start to come together, and I begin to see the connections. So one of the examples of this, I have a, a series, I don't know whether it's going to be a series of messages, a series on my podcast, if it's going to be a, a, a book, whatever it is. But for lack of a better title, as I was thinking about it in the moment, as I was trying to go through my notes, it's, it's, it's everything we get wrong about God. So this is my series. Things like, probably the number one thing, the kingdom of God is not a meritocracy. A meritocracy is where you earn what you get. And we approach the kingdom of God like it's a meritocracy. Well, if I get enough merit badges, God might let me into heaven. If I do good, it's, it's sort of the, the, the spiritual Santa Claus principle. Well, you know, someday Jesus is going to come and it's going to be like Santa showing up telling us who's naughty and who's nice. And the ones who are nice get heaven, and the ones who are naughty get coal. Well, the reality is, is that Jesus died for all, and it has nothing to do with what I do to earn it. It's not a meritocracy, and yet, day after day after day, we live like it is. Oh, God, forgive me, I was bad. Now something bad is going to happen. Or, God, I have been so good. I have been so faithful. I have done everything you have asked. Why is this happening to me? As if I have earned some sort of reprieve from suffering, when the reality is that Jesus said suffering is actually the way of following me. See, that's something we get wrong. How about this one? The church is not bricks and mortar, but flesh and blood. I'm going to go to church. Oh, don't run in the hallway. This is church. This is the house of God. Even though Jesus said, no, the temple of the Holy Spirit is you. 
because the Holy Spirit is in me. So I am the temple, not this place. See, that's mutual indwelling. And if we don't get that right, we don't understand the mutual indwelling. How about this one? Praying for God to be present is like praying for your lungs to learn how to breathe. See, Colossians says that in Christ, all things hold together. He is the glue that holds the matter of the universe together. So by saying, hey, Jesus, will you be present? Don't you understand? He's present in this table. He's present in the molecules of the air. He is present in the floor. He is present in the sky. He is present in my body. He is present in all things that have been made. And yet, so why? And then if we really believe the mutual indwelling and say, well, Jesus, come be present in me. Well, what, what I've just said when I, say, when I pray that is I don't really believe what, you, what we just read in John. I really don't believe that. See, we, we get it wrong. We think of God spatially. God is up there, and I'm down here. And all we feel is separation beneath and between. Which means that we don't get mutual indwelling. And here's... The thing, I don't think it's about understanding it cognitively. Last year, I spoke uh, in the sanctuary on the subject of death. It's always fun when you get that subject on the teaching schedule. Tom, you're going to talk about death. Okay, good. Things get really quiet when you start talking about death. But in that message, here's what I said. If I really believe what I say I believe, and come to think about it, that's probably the name of whatever this series is. If I really believe what I say I believe, then this is true. If I really believe what I say I believe, dot, 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 then death is not an end, but a new beginning. If I really say what I, that if I really believe what I say I believe, death is not something for me to grieve. It's a celebration because Christ conquered the grave. And I'm going where I really belong, where I'm at home. So this morning, as we just spend a few more minutes together, here's what I want to say. I'm not sure that it's about me understanding the idea that Christ is in me and I am in Christ and God, Father's in Christ, so he's in me. I can understand that. I don't need to help understanding it. I need help believing it. All right, next, sword drill. Let's go to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. I have, uh, in my chapter a day blog and podcast, have been going through the gospel of Mark. And you know what? Since you guys are here this morning, the Sunday of tulip time, when nobody wants to show up, I'm gonna give you a little gift this morning. I'm gonna give you a little insight. Next year, we're gonna be doing book studies of four different books of the Bible, and the book of Mark is one of them. So I have been blogging my way through Mark a chapter at a time, and I have been noticing something. And what I've been noticing this time as I go through it is Jesus' frustration with his disciples. So look at chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. He's just done this, the parable of the sower, and he gets back with his disciples alone, and they go, Jesus, what was that story about? We don't get it. 
Verse 13, Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? I have just given you something simple. You don't get it? Now, skip down to verse 40. He's just calmed the storm, and they're in the boat, and they're scared to death, and Jesus calms the storm, and they're completely freaked out, and he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? All right, keep, let's go on. Verse, uh, chapter 7, flip over to chapter 7, and look at verse 18. <laughs> this is the one I love. Disciples asked him about his parable. Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile? You, don't you see it? Come on, guys. How much time do I have to spend with you? Now go over to chapter 8, verses 17 through 20. Aware of the discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Don't you see? Don't you understand? Are your hearts so hardened? Do you have eyes that but you fail to see? Do you have ears that are deaf? Don't you remember? I broke five loaves for 5,000. How many basketfuls did we have left over? 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for 4,000, how many pieces, how many kettle, basketfuls or pieces did you pick up? Seven. Said, do you still not understand? <laughs> 833. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the, you're just so focused on the things of this world. So what needs to happen if we are to understand, if we are to experience the reality of mutual indwelling, if we are to experience the reality of the fact that the God of creation through the Holy Spirit is in us and we are one with him, then we've got to ask that the eyes of our heart will be open. May I respectfully submit is that, again, it's not that I don't understand it. It's that I really don't believe it. Kevin over in the sanctuary for years, I've listened to him for years preach and say, you guys, it's not about a mental agreement with a doctrine. You can agree to anything. It's like me agreeing on the day Wendy and I were married that, oh yeah, yeah, we're entering into this marriage covenant. Yep, yep, I get it. Yep, yep, gonna be married. And then we never talk, we never live together, we never love each other, we don't do anything. Me agreeing to something isn't the point. Me signing a paper isn't the point. Me loving Wendy like love, Christ loved the church. Wendy loving me like I'm part of her. That's marriage. In the same way, you agreeing to the doctrines of third church is meaningless. You understanding oneness with God. That's what Jesus is getting at. So as I started, I feel like Jesus is going, Tom, do you not understand yet? Come on, dude. And again, I don't think Jesus is being condemning. I think it's like marriage. 
when I frustrate Wendy because I still forget to wipe the counter off the coffee grounds. Tom, how many, do you, do you not understand that there's a washcloth right there and you just wipe the grounds into the sink? I know, I know, I know. I'll try to remember tomorrow. Since she doesn't love me, she's not going to divorce me. She's not going to shut me off relationally because I didn't, <laughs> it's frustration. And I feel the same thing. Jesus is like going, come on, you guys, I want you to get this. And that's what I hear in Jesus. So when I pray and think as if God is somewhere else, I'm not getting it. God, will you come be present? I've just admitted I don't get it because he's already here. When I pray and say, hey, God, I think, I need God be with me, be near me, come to me, give me strength, give me peace. I'm saying I don't get it because the Prince of Peace is in me. I have an unlimited, infinite supply of peace at my disposal. So I'm admitting I, 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 don't, I, I don't get it. All right, what I need is to understand. I need my eyes opened. I need my ears opened to see it, to understand it. Ephesians is next. Go to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Hold my horse so I can get on. Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, Paul says to the, the believers in Ephesus, and love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that we can know the reality of his indwelling. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, and that's what I want our prayer to be today and every day moving forward. Open the eyes of my heart to understand, to experience the reality of you and me and I and you. That you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him, there he is, at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly realms, we just said that in the Apostles' Creed, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the age to come and all the future. God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Not this building, but the church, all the flesh and blood people who believe, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything and everything. Do you realize if you are a believer, you are part of the church, you are the fullness of Christ. You're part of it. You're going, oh, I don't feel that at all. 
right? That's the problem. We need to have our eyes open. Look at chapter, keep going with chapter two. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I once was apart from Christ in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdoms of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient. All of, oh, my pages are stuck together. Hold on. All right. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love, not because of your spiritual merit badge, because of his great love, not because of all the good things that you did and all the bad things you avoided, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And here we go. Here's the big one. And God raised us up past tense. God raised us up with Christ and seated us past tense with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You guys... If you are in Christ, you don't have to worry about getting to heaven. You're already there. Understand that. See, I, I believe, and I, as I look at physics and I think about all of, all of physics teaches us about the time, spatial time, you know, continuum and different dimensions and all that this universe is, I believe that we, we're tapping into the mystery of what, how God's made this creation. And I personally have come to believe that when I die this earthly death and I get to heaven, I will know it because I've already been there. I've been there the whole time. I personally is not going to be like, oh, this is all new. I think we're going to cross over and go, Oh, yes, I'm home. Because we're already there. So what does that mean for me today? Two things, two quick more scriptures and then we'll be done. Second Kings. Wow, sword drills. We're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament. Second Kings, chapter 6. Second Kings, chapter 6. I don't have a cute little acronym for the Old Testament. Sorry. Now, the king of Aram, verse 8, was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God, that's Elisha, the prophet, sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans, this army, are going down there. So the king of Israel. So basically, this was it. The Arameans want to, want to kill all the Israelites. So the army goes here. God tells Elisha, that's where they are. So Elisha goes, hey, king of Israel. They're over there. And he's like, cool, we're going on the other way. And so this happens multiple times. This enraged the king of Aram, verse 11. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. 
And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, the servant asked, what are we going to do? Don't be afraid, Elisha answered. There are those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And his servant said, are you crazy? Have you been smoking something? I mean, dude, open. Look around you. And Elisha prayed. Verse 17, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw that the hills were full of horses and angels and chariots of fire. We need our eyes opened. That's what we need. Last one, Mark chapter 9. Last one, Mark chapter 9, all the way back to the Gospels. Jesus has been trying to get his disciples and his people to understand. And now we're in verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus says. I love this. How long do I have to stay with you? (laughs) Jesus himself is saying, I'm so ready to go home. Seriously. How long shall I stay with you? This boy had been possessed by demons and the disciples couldn't cast him out. So Jesus says, bring the boy to me. So they brought him and when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately threw the boy into a convulsion and he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire, water, kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible. For him who believes. And the father answered, underline this, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him again. So here's my application for this morning. And this is my application for myself, and I'm, I, I'm, this is what I want for myself, and I, I pray that you would, would join me in this. I want my prayer life to begin acknowledging what's really real and my struggle to believe it. So instead of praying, Lord, be with me, I want to pray, Lord, I know you are in me, and I am in you. Help my unbelief. Instead of praying, Lord, come be present, I want to pray, Lord, I know you are present in me. I know that you are holding everything. Open my eyes and my ears to see it and to hear it and to know it. Instead of praying, Lord, come, give me your peace. Grant me and give it to me. I want to pray, Lord, I know that you are peace and you are in me. So open my heart to know it more. Do you understand the difference of what we're talking about? Because one of them says, I don't really believe it. The other one says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief.
Help me to know it, to see it, to feel it, to experience it new and fresh. And then notice at the very end of that story, verse 29, or verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive out the spirit, Lord? Why didn't we have spiritual power? Why were we so struggling with these things? Why was there no power in what we were trying to do? And Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And one of the things that we think of that as, oh, you just have to pray a specific prayer. We think so linearly, don't we? Oh, well, there's a certain prayer. Well, I better look up the liturgy of exorcism, and I better pray this prayer. And if I pray this prayer, then the Spirit will leave. No, no, that's back to, that's back to merit badge thinking. What Jesus is saying, if you read the Gospel of Mark, what was Jesus doing the whole time? He was always off on a mountaintop all night long being with his Father. Jesus was always getting away by himself to spend time in relationship with the Father who is in him and him and the Father and the Spirit who is in him and the Spirit. And it was by that time together, it was by being with God and spending time cultivating that relationship that the power of God was realized. In the same way that, that a marriage, my, Wendy and I's marriage is not gonna be realized the full love and fullness and intimacy of a marriage if we don't spend time together, if we don't talk, if we don't pray together, if we don't, if we don't do those things that cultivate that relationship, then our marriage is not gonna be the fullness of what it is. It's so simple, do you see it? So let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, <laughs> open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart, open my spirit to know the fullness of what I say I believe. Help me get beyond, Lord, this being so focused on the things of this world that I can't see all of the heavenly realities that are, are mine this moment. Oh, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Amen. I want to pray. Can I, I'm going to throw a wrinkle on you. Can we do the, there's another in the fire song again. Can you do that? Everybody okay with that? Do you remember that song? There's another in the fire. We're going to sing that again. And this time I want you to sing it with this message in mind. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, there was another. Jesus was in the furnace with them. There's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the water. When Moses parted the Red Sea, there's another in the water holding back the sea. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, 
There was a separation between God and humanity. So there was another in the fire because what? There was no indwelling at that point. There was another in the water because there was no indwelling at that point. But when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and the Spirit came in us, now that separation is gone. So when we sing, I have joy in the battle because I know you're there, it's because he's in me, in the battle, and I am in him already victorious on the throne. So I want to sing that again. And I want you to sing it from your heart and I want you to think about it and I want you to sing it from your spirit and embrace the reality of God's oneness in you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Let's sing.